And welcome everybody to the Between Two Wheels podcast, episode 218. We are coming to you from Northern California. Look, we do a weekly show, we try to, to give you the news and the cycling events of the world of California, at World and California, and we do interviews. Now, it's been a while since we've done some good interviews. Someone asked me on the last episode, they said, hey, what was your best interview of that you enjoyed the most from 2020? Tyler Williams, Dr. Braley, Jonathan Baker, Jeff Linder, Mike Sayers, and I could say at least as of this afternoon, this is going to be my best interview of 2021. Jason Saltzman, welcome, and how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. You know, yeah. Looking forward to it. All of those names are guys, guys I grew up racing against or racing with, so happy to be amongst them. Right, and I thought we'd talk a little bit about that. Look, you've been, actually since you've been a junior and come on any doing any cycling, you've been kind of on high profile teams, the Specialized Team, the Bear Dev, Illuminate, uh, a team from Austria, I can't pronounce, <laughs> Avello, and it, now- Don't worry, I, I, can't, I can't particularly either still, so uh, didn't, didn't get too much practice with that one this past year. Uh, Why don't you give us a, a, a quick update on, first of all, who you are, in case those that don't know, and and then we'll we all want to dig back and go a little deeper into you know some of the the growing up and the junior stuff that you've had and obviously 2020 can't avoid talking about that and then what you have coming up so who are you and um how long have you been in cycling uh i'm jason saltzman i grew up riding and racing in norcal you know lived there for the first at least when i was there for the first 21 and a half 22 years of my life um you know it's great place to grow up great place to race a bike um, you know, as you said, right, you know, I've, I spent some time, a lot of time racing as a junior and, you know, I, you know, the, the first time I really raced a bike was when USAC would give me a license when I was nine racing age 10. Um, but even before that, you know, I would tag along with my dad, who was also a, you know, staple in the masters racing in NorCal, uh, for a long time. And, you know, I, we show up to these office park crits or these downtown crits, a lot of which unfortunately don't happen anymore. And right. there'd be a two lap kids race, uh, you know, in the middle of the program and I'd pin a number on and roll around for those. So I've been racing bikes for, I guess, officially for this will be 2021 will be year 14 and probably a few more years than that. And when you really consider it, so. That's impressive. So your dad, I, I do know he, he's a master's racer and I imagine that's really what brought you into the sport. Um, what was that like? I mean, was he from the young age, you were interested in racing and did you do any other sports or is this kind of just the one you took to right away? Um, so right, I'll go one step further back. My parents actually met racing oh. in college. Um, you know, I always joke that it's in the blood as much as anything else right. is for me. Um, and yeah, my, you know, my dad was ever, ever since I was born well before that, my dad's been a bike racer and, you know, I, the weekend activity a lot of the time was to hop in the car and tag along with him and, you know, watch him rip around a local crit and, you know, sort of, it's one of those things where I was never forced to ride a bike. The option was certainly always there and it was always something that I, you know, enjoyed participating in it. It's one of these things where even to the day I ride with my dad and, you know, that fosters and has fostered a, an incredible connection there um, that I really cherish. And, you know, I, I was a multi-sport kid in a sense, right? You know, I did soccer and karate and I, despite the fact that I'm still only five, five and a half or five, six, you know, I've spent two or three years playing middle school basketball um, but you know, it was really by the time I got to being 
14, 15, 16, you know, starting into high school. And certainly once I was a freshman or sophomore in high school, you know, the only thing I was really focused on was racing my bike. So, so yeah, you, I did have some multi-sport experience, but not didn't, didn't last long. It's always interesting. You know, you look Americans, we have so many other sports that we can look to. Right. Um, and so the, the fact that you gravitated towards cycling is, is awesome. You know, we all have the ones that are probably watching this. Uh, so I have four kids and I can't, I can't get them excited about it. You've been doing this a long time. What was kind of the key to catching that interest and, and getting you going for those out there that are trying to help grow the sport and to, to get juniors involved? What was a key thing that, 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 that did it besides, and, and maybe it's just your relationship with your dad, I don't know, or mom? I mean, I, th- I think you certainly can't undermine that at all um but you know the bike's this beautiful thing probably Mm. you know more so than any other sport right you get to sort of get out and be out in the world on your own in a way that sort of not only lets you explore but almost forces you to explore right you know even when i was growing up back in the good old days right you know the ability to download routes onto garmin's and whatnot you know yeah you could do it and you know i certainly just got a lot of routes hand fed to me from my dad and the other people in the Bay area around me. But, you know, you go out after school on a Tuesday afternoon and you got an hour to roll around and all of a sudden you're going up some road that goes nowhere or turns to dirt or, you know, you're weaving through the residential area, trying not to, you know, playing a game, trying not to overlap roads or whatever else. Right. You know, it's really sort of just this way to, see what's around you and you know at the same time test yourself right you know i think one of the things i loved then and loved to the day is the ability to sort of go out and just you know see see what i'm made of in a sense right you know what what i'm capable of right that adventure thing is so perfect now so let me ask you this because i've seen it kind of a trend with younger kids did you get your driver's license when you turned 16 or did you wait a little bit I immediately okay. day, day of. Okay. Maybe um, that, that has to go with your, your sense of adventure and just willing to go out. Cause I'm seeing way too many kids. It seems like that are just waiting. And maybe the fact that, I mean, I was with you, you know, the bike was immense freedom and then the car was, was even more. So I just mm-hmm. curious about how that went. I mean, I think part of that is a uh, right. You know, there's some running joke about cyclists having a need for speed and, yeah. you know, the cyclists inherently, at least bike racers being inherently better drivers, you can navigate your way through a crit at you know shoulder to shoulder you're probably a little bit more attuned to driving yourself through traffic and whatnot but even from a logistical standpoint right when you know a lot of the races in norcal you have to drive two or and a half or three or whatever right. you know however many hours to get out to them and you know that was a great way to you know so long as i got my permit when i was 15 and a half and then my license when i was 16 right you know that gave my dad a break in one direction, gave me plenty of time to practice, right? Certainly I, you know, it's something I enjoy, you know, I enjoy driving still, right? I've, you know, be it down the highway to go somewhere or, you know, out on some of the mountain roads where I probably shouldn't admit to how fast I'm going. Um, but, um, I, you know, nonetheless, it's this thing that really you know as you said it allows for freedom and exploration just as much as the bike does just one point i've noticed and and this is another i have all kinds of theories one is um juniors uh in the you get a junior that's really qualified really good maybe they're racing the cat one twos 
Um, I've thought that since they hadn't been driving yet, they were not, they would just take a left-hand turn in the pack because they weren't always aware of the spatial stuff around them. Um, theory, what do you, we confirm that and deny it? What do you think? I know you're not a junior anymore, but you've spent a lot of time. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure I can reach that far back and really think about it. Right. Um, what I will say is there's certain, I'll give you an anecdote from various team camps where we've gone go-karting. Um, and there are, there's a certain level of balls to the wall, uh, you know, driving those go-karts around when it's a bunch of cyclists that is unmatched with any other group of people that I've gone out and gone go-karting with. So, you know, that, that may, that might not answer the question, but it certainly, no, it uh, makes sense. It gives some evidence there. Right. Um, back, back to your junior race. And so you start off really young and, um, you know, I've seen when, when I was out racing in Colorado, I think it was Blake Caldwell. He used to be a pro. He had a national championship jersey from like age, you know, five on up. And did you, did you, have you acquired, I know you got a few state championships. How about national championships and how close have you been on that? Um, I've been in, you know, the top 10 a handful of times as a junior. Um, never, you know, I was not, you know, despite the fact that I got into the sport really early and have stayed in the sport for, you know, what now makes for a long time. I was not the superstar junior as a 10, 12 year old or a 13, 14 year old, right? You know, I was, I'm, I'm still a small guy. You know, I was definitely a really small kid, um, under, you know, not underdeveloped, but just underpowered relative to some of the guys I grew up racing as, right? You know, I grew up and it's still, it happens to the, you know, with, with every generation, but, you know, I grew up and there were guys who were 13 year olds who were, five eleven, six feet tall right. and had the hair hair on their face, right? And yeah. I just wasn't that kid, right? I um certainly got, you know, my fair share of time had my fair share of races probably for at least the first four or five years of my bike racing career where I was you know, either getting dropped or I was just packed fill. Right. And a lot of that is you know, I really look at it as a benefit now, right? Because I didn't just show up and have the raw horsepower to ride off the front of these races or be, you know, just ride myself onto the front of these races. Um, you know, I really had to learn a lot of the tactical racecraft, you know, being smart about it sort of things that once the, you know, once puberty really hit and once power started to come up and develop and, you know, still, fingers crossed continues to come right. up and develop more um you know really has been a lot of the reason i think i've stayed in the sport for so long is you know unlike a lot of those guys who basically started here as far you know from a physical level and then all of a sudden when everyone else came up to them didn't have the tactical skills to go head to head right then and just got frustrated you know it was sort of the opposite i banged my head against the wall and learned the tactical skills for um a young age and then you know when the power came up to match the tactical skills that was when things started getting better and more interesting and you know continue to be that way that you know that's another one <laughs> i have all these theories uh and one of them is when you see the young kid you know either the junior or the, the initial kid that comes in there and they immediately blow through all the categories and then they get a chance to ride for a good team, they're not necessarily prepared to be that teammate because they've never had to really do that. Everything's just kind of come to them. So, you know, working away and having to pay your dues as it is, is probably 
treating you well, servicing you well. Let's let's talk about um, last year as well. You got a chance to race, in, and I, and I'll mix all this stuff in here. Um, but mm-hmm. you got a chance to race with this Austrian team and go to Europe. So when did you quit? Uh, when did you leave Avello to go? Or no, you just recently with them. Why don't you give us a breakdown of when you turned pro and the teams you've had there? So right, my junior career, I'll categorize sort of in. I guess it's probably best categorized in three parts, right? You know, I started off and was riding basically in a kid's size jersey of whatever team my dad was riding for right. uh, until I was racing until I was going to be racing age fourteen um, or racing age fifteen, somewhere in there, right? And then I did three years with the specialized juniors team. Um, so my 15 and 16 and 17 year old year. And then I moved away from that program in 2015 for my final year as a junior onto the bear team. Um, and then from there, you know, I, in my last two years as a junior, right. I did far more racing in the local NorCal P12 races than I did in any junior races. You know, I probably did five, to eight junior races a year, you know, being the big marquee selection races or nationals um, that were earmarked uh, by USA Cycling. Um, But the majority of my calendar was as a, you know, local elite racer, despite the fact that I was still on junior gears. Um, You know, and then certainly in 2015, my last year as a junior on Bear, you know, I started knocking on you know, I was, I was a cat one by the time in my last year as a junior. Um, actually maybe I was a cat one by the end of my second to last year, but that's sort of neither here nor there. Um, and you know, I certainly in 2015 started knocking on the door of all these big results. You know, I was winning or podiuming at a bunch of the hardest, you know, NorCal P12 races, which at the time were also the hardest local P12 races anywhere in the country. Right, you know, as evidenced by the fact that in 2015, when nationals were in Tahoe, I think right. you had six or seven guys in the top ten for the road race, um, in the elite race, um, that were NorCal riders. Right, you know, being the Mike Spikes guys and the Mark, right. what, were, what was then the Mark Pro Strava team, um, and so you know, it certainly was holding my own at least in the in the, at the P12 level. And then for 2016, uh, got the opportunity to ride for Team Illuminate, which was, you know, I think technically when there, I'm always, I always get confused by the classification of what actually counts as a pro, right? Whether, you know, some people count Conti level pro as a pro. Some people say pro is pro Conti and world tour. That's a debate that I don't know the proper nomenclature for. Um, but, you know, that was my first year racing pro level races uh consistently and you know i had a bunch of good experiences on there but some of the organization made just made it a little bit harder to really feel like i was getting everything out of myself um and then at the end of so that was 2016 you know at the end of the 2016 season right and for most of the 2016 season i was either a high school senior still um or you know summer break uh, at the end of the 2016 season, I went down and started college. And luckily, you know, a few weeks into college, got a call from Mike Creed, who was starting the Avolo team, um, and got offered a spot there for 2017. 
you know, like some people do, you know, I went to college and got a little bit complacent, you know, enjoyed being a college freshman a little bit. Right. Um, and that didn't set me up as well as it could have for the 2017 season. And I still, you know, I, even in the spring of 2017, I decided that I was going to take, you know, keep doing the, you know, the full academic course load. And that certainly didn't help. Right. Because, you know, I sort of ended up, you know, I missed a bunch of school for team camps and racing. And even when I was at school, right. You know, I was, I felt like I was doing 80% of the school stuff and 80% of the riding stuff and a hundred percent of nothing. And, you know, it just didn't leave me particularly fulfilled on either side. And then, you know, by the time we got later into the year and I, you know, into the summer months and I, you know, could, you know, basically I had to dig myself out of the hole of, you know, your, you know, build, build up the fitness that wasn't there in the spring and get ready for the summer racing. And, you know, it was sort of neither here nor there, right. It was, I was finding my legs sort of right when racing was finishing up and, you know, then went off to school again in the fall of 2017 knowing that you know i was going to choose to take the spring of you know the next spring semester spring of 2018 off to focus on racing right because it just hadn't worked particularly well um where were you going to school sorry when we were uh, going claremont mckenna okay it's a small liberal arts school that happens to be located where i can literally go out of my dorm room uh when i'm on campus and climb for an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes straight up Mount Baldy. Beautiful. Um, it's so, you know, lots, you know, really scenic riding, really good terrain for training hard and whatnot. And, you know, roads that, you know, the tour of California used in, you know, pretty fam- famous roads. Right. Right. Uh, or, in, or infamous roads as it may be. Um, so went back to school in the, fall of 2018 did the semester had gotten offered a contract again with a volo for or sorry in the fall of 2017 had gotten offered a contract for with a volo for 2018 and you know went through the off season fall semester you know thought i was building up nicely for 2018 and sort of again ran into this thing where coming out of the fall semester and into the you know true build phase for 2018 was maybe a little bit more complacent, right? You know, I was, I was training hard and I was doing everything I thought I needed to, but I think, you know, at some level it was a focus on the wrong, the wrong aspect of what was going to be important mm-hmm. for racing, uh, the races that we were doing, right. You know, it was a lot of long five hours, five and a half hour rides in the mountains without as much focus on the stuff that, you know, really makes for racing at the front end of the field you know, which was the higher intensity stuff. Um, and then you had again, sort of a lackluster spring of 2018 and coming out of a big, big old block of racing, uh, that saw, I think nine days of racing in 11 days, uh, with Joe Martin and then straight into tour of Gila sort of knew that something needed to change. So, you know, took, a few months and really built out, you know, I, I think I did the same seven by three minute VO two workout. Uh, so I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's somewhere between 80 and 90 times uh, over, over, over the course of the next uh, three or four months. Did and you really, have a coach you know, this whole time 
or were you just doing your own thing? So the co the coach for the majority of my, the, you know, the end part of my junior career and the early part of my under 23 career was Scott Moninger, okay. uh, who's sort of a, yeah. you know, that's quite a famous, famous name in North American bike racing. Right. Um, and, you know, met him, right. Just a little bit of the backstory on that met him at a, one of the like WKO peaks coaching group, uh, which is who he was affiliated at, with at the time. Um, sort of training camp seminar sort of things. And, you know, that turned into a longer relationship that was sort of four and a half, five years of coaching that worked really well. As soon as we realized that I uh, responded much better to a lot of this high intensity work. Um, And, you know, that sort of built out my power profile and fitness uh, all around, as opposed to sort of just trying to hammer out what are, what are hard rides? The, you know, the five, Hour right, right. rides, you know, it's sort of just zone two, zone three all day. Um, but you know, that's not exactly what gave me the, you know, the, the kick in the pants that I really needed. Um, so, you know, by the time moving forward back to, you know, the middle of the year in 2018, you know, sort of knew I was on the cusp of get, making the teams for Utah tour of Utah tour of Colorado and you know went to altitude did all the stuff to get prepared for that and you know ended up as first despite the fact that i was you know finally after however many of these vo2 workouts and however much time at altitude you know i was finally in the place where i should have been earlier in the year and i think you know i really do believe that i was in the place where at that point i was the fittest i'd ever been and you know deserving of a spot on those on at least one of those teams you know, I ended up as first reserve for both of those races. And, you know, that was sort of the big, what I'll call the beginning of the end of my Avolo tenure, right. You know, I was, was not offered a contract back for 2019, but also knew that, you know, the way at the same time I could watch the direction that U S racing was trending for 2019. And I knew that sort of, if I wanted to, keep kicking myself in the pants to keep moving my development as a rider and racer along, right. I, I wanted to end up in Europe. Um, so I spent a lot of time, you know, emailing as many teams as you can imagine, uh, trying to find a spot for 2019 and eventually ended up on this British registered Italian based, uh, under 23 team, um, for 2019, and you know moved over there early in you know i guess we had two months in spain for training camp uh at the beginning of 2019 um and then a full another seven and a half months or so of racing in italy before i came back in uh late august or yeah late august um and that you know that was really eye-opening both at the level of racing in europe is its own special beast but it's also was eye opening in the sense that, you know, I became much more confident that I was knocking on the door or, you know, I belonged at the front end of those races. Right. You know, and I belonged in a Peloton with the best under 23s in the world who would then go on to be, you know, who go on to be the best bike riders in the world, right. you know, in the next year or two. Um, you know, the, again, 
sort of a fun number I look at is I think in 2019, there were 44 or 45 guys I raced against all year who ended up on pro Conti or world tour teams the next year. Right. And you know, I wasn't beating all of those guys consistently, but there were certainly days where I finished in front of plenty of those guys. And, you know, that was really the, you know, the confidence boost or the, you know, the check on my fitness and racecraft and all the things that, you know, had accumulated all over however many years of trying to find my place in the sport and really gave me the confidence that, you know, knowing what I want to do for training and knowing how to position myself in a European bike race and how to save energy and how to race well and efficiently and, you know, not just try to brute force it. Um, which is very hard to do in a European bike race. Um, well, you know, d- d- let me interrupt just so even going back though, nationals up in um, uh, Truckee when we had them in here and you were mm-hmm. just a junior, I mean, you probably didn't realize at the time, but you look at who did really well in your field from what I can remember. I mean, Carpenter, McNulty, I mean, there were, it's kind of just smattered of an amazing amount of guys who are doing well right now, just in the top 10. And you, mm-hmm. you did what ninth or 10th i'm trying to remember i looked up some of your results uh, i in the time trial yeah so um uh, yeah i was ninth in the road race road um, race sorry well that wow that's that, that was an impressive road race then yeah and you know the that that's one of those days where right we all have uh days we want you know slight do-overs right. on what happened in the race right you know the hot hats off to the hot tubes guys but you know that race basically you know you started up at the north star resort and you dropped down all the way out down towards the um, Loyalton, yeah. Sierraville, whatever, right. whatever it is, right? All the way, all the way down. It was basically fifty k downhill from the start, and you know, no one was particularly worried about it. And you know, the hot tubes guys got ten or fifteen guys up the road, and on you know, got the gap big enough while everyone was sitting around looking at each other. Um, that, you know, that those were the guys who won, you know, where the podium, you know, came, came out of that break, you know, despite the fact that it was then 50 K uphill, you know, after a short lap lap, it was 50 K uphill basically to the finish. Um, but you know, you, as you said, you know, you, when you look at the guys that were, there were three of us that made it into the top 10 that came out of the field. Um, Adrian Costa, Costa that's right. ended up and en- ended up fourth, um, and then I ended up ninth, and Brandon McNulty ended up tenth, right? If I'm remembering correctly, right? And you know, again, you look at the names that were up there, and you look at you know what Adrian then went on to do as an under 23 before you know he decided to get up, get on with life uh, yeah. in a sense, and you know you look at where McNulty is now and you know, there, you know, that was sort of the, the high horsepower of, a uh, American bike racing at that point. Oh, d- definitely. So, so you're, let's go, keep going. So let's finish this off. So you end up in Europe, which I think is a, mm-hmm. is a great idea. Now is wildlife generation planning on going back? I'd seen that they were going to start in Turkey. That's who, you know, spoiler, that's who you've signed with for this next year. Mm-hmm. Um, are they planning on going and racing much in Europe then? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, right, as you said, our current plan is to head over to Turkey at the beginning of February. Uh, fingers crossed that that actually becomes something that we, or, you know, stay, 
stay right. is something that we can do, right? It seems right. To be, we seem to have Zoom calls every week to up, update on what's going on there. And um, But yeah, I think we're going to head over and you know there'll be some European racing. There'll be a lot of racing in sort of in Turkey, Greece, Japan, uh, potentially Thailand, potentially Rwanda, South Africa, um, you know, and then all of that's before, in theory, bike racing starts again in the U.S. in, you know, the June-July time frame. Hopefully once, whoever wants to get vaccinated can get vaccinated and we're back to some semblance of normal life here. How did you How did you uh, get on the the wildlife team? You, you raced, you know, you said a, a conglomeration of, of different teams uh, over there, the British registered team and then the Austrian team. Um, how did you end up connecting with the wildlife generation, especially with not being able to do much in 2020? So, um, right, you know, it's, it's one of these things where it's a bit of a hustle to try to figure out. Um, you know, when, especially in a year where there's not results and you can't just point to a race CV and say, Hey, yeah. look at how good I did here. Or, and you know, that becomes the talking point. Um, you know, I sent probably 50 or 60 emails to different teams. Um, at the end of 2020, you know, when I, once I had come back from Austria and knew that, you know, the, the, a, that team that I was on in Austria uh, wasn't an option for 2021 because it had gone bankrupt and basically just it had disbanded by the time I was leaving Austria um, and you know it's one of those things where you know luckily Danny Van Hout who's the director of mm. wildlife you know, saw something in past race results from 2019 or earlier and you know I sent a bunch of sort of lab data and training data and, you know, was able to point at, basically I came back from Austria uh, in August and then went on a sort of rampage of sorts uh, trying to, right, my parents moved down to Santa Barbara and that's where I am uh, currently, you know, trying to set all of my best times and what what ended up being a lot of Strava KOMs on a bunch of the roads down here, but that translated into a bunch of power PRs and whatnot. And, you know, I think that, you know, I told, I told a pretty good story with that of, you know, how I stayed focused throughout a really challenging 2020 and, you know, was really keen on building towards, you know, showing the, showing what I'd accumulated as far as fitness and knowledge over all these years now. Um, with that confidence coming forward from 2019 that I'd mentioned, Right, you know, knowing that I could hold my own at the front end of, you know, these hard European under twenty three and sort of under twenty three elite UCI races. So, how did how did you manage twenty twenty? Uh, you know, last year, were you over in Austria most of the time? Did you come back home? Um, and then just how, mentally, how did you handle not knowing what was going on? I know a lot of riders, you know, in the World Tour, they said. I think Dombrowski was saying that it was kind of unique where. Um, once you got kind of over the fact that you're going to train, you'd, everyone was focused for it. So that everyone just came in super hot. And he said, he, I think he was mentioning that you didn't really need to do the training, at least in a COVID type of year that you normally did where it's so much base and everything else. It was just like you had mentioned a lot of high intensity, but how did you mentally take care of all that? So it was this really interesting thing, right? You know, I left 
for Austria, February, I left, I left on Valentine's day. Right. So I got over there and had, you know, we had a, I had a few days before we headed to Croatia for a small team camp, then for about a week. And then we came back to Austria for a week and a half or two weeks, and then went back down to Croatia for the first set of races. And that put us into early March, which is sort of when the world uh, was beginning to teeter on the edge of shutting down at least. Right. Um, and we got the, you know, there were two, two one day races and then what was supposed to be a four day stage race um, down in Croatia. And we got the first two one day races in, and then there were, you know, the second one of those was on Sunday and there were three or four days before the stage race started midweek um, running into the next weekend. And some of my team, right. Europe is much smaller than the U S uh, it takes less time to get from Croatia to Austria than it does to get for me to get back to NorCal uh, from Santa Barbara. Okay. Um, so some of my teammates went home for those few days between the one days and the stage race. And I stayed down in Croatia with another teammate. Um, and then everyone came back down on Wednesday for the race that started on Thursday. And within, you know, they, the guys who were coming back down from Austria showed up at three 30 in the afternoon on that Wednesday. Um, they pulled their bikes and their bags out of the car and by the time we got to um, them being unpacked, my the DS had said that you know things were going off in the WhatsApp group for all the you know for the race and the directors and the organization that the race was you know no no managers meeting that was supposed to happen at four thirty the race was canceled. Um, you know we're talking within twenty four hours of when the race was supposed to start. And then the question became, okay, so, you know, what now? We're, we're all here. We're all in Croatia. Like life still seems pretty normal besides the fact that they just canceled this bike race that we were all planning on doing starting tomorrow. And it became this thing where the, the two options were, okay, you know, yeah, you guys just drove six hours down to, you know, get here. Do you really want to throw everything back in the car and, or in the, van and drive back to Austria tonight or do we want to stay here in the hotel where we already have the rooms and whatnot and drive back you know drive back in the morning and someone made the decision that they'd rather just drive you know hop back throw everything back in the van and drive back and we're you know leaving this hotel at 515 520 and we get to the border of Croatia and Slovenia and this is a despite both of the countries being in the eu uh croatia is not a schengen country so that means there's real true you know border control customs whatnot to get back into slovenia we went through customs into slovenia at 5:45, and by the time we got through customs and someone looked at their phone when we were 10 minutes down the road in slovenia someone saw on the news border with croatia and slovenia closed <laughs> until further further notice right you know at at 6 p.m so we made it by 15 minutes and otherwise who knows what would have happened um you know how long we would have had to stay in croatia how long everything would have been shut down and what sort of mess that would have been but basically we got back and you know then more and more races started getting canceled and it became this thing of well sort of 
okay, what now, right? Do I stay here, right? You know, there was already the sort of max exodus of a bunch of the US, at least the world tour riders who were all based in Europe going home because they knew with more certainty, at least that all of their racing was canceled until at least, you know, at that point it was at least May or, and then it became at least June and then it became at least July. Um, but for us, you know, racing at the Conti level, right, we never really got as much clarity on it. And I sort of knew that if I came home in April, right, the odds that I was going to be able to go back were very low, right? So I figured right. it was better to s- stay there and stick it out, right? You know, my day-to-day life. Were they still paying you there, or I don't know or it, what your contract no, was, but okay. No. This this was a uh, one of these fun salaryless uh, Conti contracts. Yes. Um, but um, but really, what it came down to is, you know, I sort of asked myself, well, if I go home, what's my day to day life going to look like? Right? I'm going to wake up, I'm going to eat some breakfast, I'm going to ride my bike, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to sit on the couch. Okay, if I stay in Austria, what's my life going to look like? I'm going to wake up, I'm going to eat breakfast, I'm going to ride my bike, and then I'm going to come back and sit on the couch. And at that point and you know that it stayed this way all the way until I came back in August you know I was the riding where I was in Austria was incredible you know it was a very relaxed pace of life um in a small town where yes there were still COVID concerns but nowhere near as much as you know Southern California COVID concerns um so I you know I decided to stay over there and the team was telling me okay, you know, there's racing, you know, as soon as there's racing, we're going. As soon as there's racing, we're going. And right, you know, that that looked like it was first going to be June and then it was going to be July. And then, you know, who, who knew when that was going to come? Uh, but we got to late June and we got, you know, a few time trials and hill climbs and whatnot. So, you know, everything looked like it was still moving forward and I'd managed to, you know, I love, I think, you know, we touched on this at the beginning, but I love riding my bike, right? I love training. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, no, no one has to tell me to go ride my bike any day of the week. People have, you know, my coach has to tell me not to go ride my bike on the days I'm not supposed to go ride my bike. Um, so, you know, that's never really been an issue. And that certainly wasn't an issue at all throughout 2020, right? You know, I was plenty happy to go out and do, you know, long rides for the sake of long rides, intervals for the sake of intervals, right? It really, you know, didn't much matter to me. And, you know, my coach and I took the chance to make it a, you know, really focus on keeping something consistent, right? You know, keeping focused and building, you know, even if I wasn't going to race as much in 2020, we were going to make sure that, you know, we were doing work that moved us, moved me forward towards 2021 and whatever came next. Right. And, you know, always with the idea that, you know, racing could come back, could have come back in 2020, you know, once we got to June or July, right, racing could have come back, you know, within, you know, two weeks or three weeks, right. So, you know, always staying within touching distance of, you know, a few good and really high intensity workouts to put a finer edge on things and then be race ready because, you know, like you said, you know, once we, you know, it was really clear that once racing started, if you weren't ready, you weren't going to have so many shots to, right. you know, 
get yourself ready and get yourself in the right space to did you, did you do make any, the most of those. Did you do any virtual racing or, you know, Zwift or any of that kind of stuff? Or did you just, no, you, you were able to go outside much, every day? I mean, I, yeah, luckily Austria was one of the European countries that never shut down so aggressively that you weren't allowed to leave your house um, to go train. And, you know, had I been in Italy, like I was in 2019, that was certainly the case, right? A bunch of my, teammates from 2019 got stuck on top of Mount Etna for three months, um, which was, a uh, you know, certainly, you know, I was lucky enough that I could still walk to the grocery store and go out on five hour rides. And right. if I was wearing a mask and, you know, taking the proper precautions, if I needed to, I could hop into a gas station and fill water bottles and whatever else. Right. So, you know, I happened to luck out in that sense on, you know, what was available to me and, you know, certainly if I wasn't allowed to leave the house, I would have, we would have seen, I would have made a whole bunch of different choices on staying there or, you know, what I was doing for the that middle part of 2020. So did you um, end up racing at all in, uh, after COVID and you kind of come back, did they, did they even have you do any racing? So again, right. You know, the whole time throughout, you know, the middle of the year for COVID, we were, you know, we kept getting told, you know, as soon as there's racing, we're going. Right, you know, and that started off being some of these time trials and hill climbs. And, you know, then we were looking at um, some of the, you know, low, what I'll call local or, you know, adjacent country right. UCI racing. Um, and we got one race day in um, after the lock, you know, one UCI race day in after the lockdown in Slovenia um, at GP Kron, which is, you know, sort of a, to put it in NorCal terms, it's sort of somewhere between, it's like Santa Cruz crit, but if you made the lap really long. Oh, okay. Um, um, but, you know, so we got one, one race day in and then all of a sudden it became clear that all, all the best laid plans for all the racing we were going to do required a uh, way more funding than the team had at this point. Uh, you know, the team had gone had really suffered from the COVID stuff. You know, the basically, as far as I understood it, you know, the team was really sort of just bankrolled by this one rich guy or, you know, these two rich guys and their personal wealth had taken a bit of a hit uh, in the economic downturn from COVID. And, you know, they were having, financial struggles there and that meant there wasn't money to pay for us to a get to these races and b you know get to these races under the new uci all the guidelines for all the all the all the precautions and testing and whatnot um so you know i at this point we're into late july and early august and it's clear to me that well you know all all the racing that I was told I was going to do once uh, racing started again uh, wasn't exactly happening. And, you know, at that point, you know, we were coming up on the start of the fall semester for school. And again, and, you know, this question of, all right, like, well, if there's no racing, I've sort of been in Austria not racing my bike for six and a half months now. I should probably come home, right? It's not like I'm getting yeah. anything from staying over here at this point. Um, so, you know, came home at the end of 2020, not 
not bummed, not dejected, not any of the, you know, sort of negative connotations looking at my year. You know, I, when I, again, I sort of looked at it in, in the sense of, you know, what would it have been like if I was in the U S right? right. And if I was in the U S there would have been none of, none of the time trials, none of the hill climbs. I wouldn't have gotten that one UCI race day. I would have, you know, honestly probably been in stricter lockdowns at some points here than I was in Austria, right? I wouldn't have gone to explore a beautiful place. Um, and you know, that I, you know, no, no one really goes to or thinks of as a great cycling destination, but is, you know, despite the fact that I've spent time in Spain, Italy, France, you know, various parts of the U S right. You know, probably still tops where I was in Austria tops the list of places that I've ridden a bike. Um, so, you know, it was, I, w- I was happy enough coming back, right. You know, it's, given, given the situation, I sort of was looking at the positives instead of dwelling on the fact that, oh man, I went over there and, you know, I moved halfway across the world and didn't get to do what I wanted to, or at least what I went there to do. And, and look, if you're going back, I mean, some of this shows, uh, you know, I remember back in, back in my day, uh, some writers, um, Chris Horner, as an example, went over there when he first signed with FDJ and he came back, he had trouble with the language, all kinds of things, you know, and life is obviously much different now that your ability to communicate uh, back home and with everybody. But I mean, it shows that your comfort level was to such that you, you were okay to even during isolation, you're being over there. So kudos for you. And it's only going to help you imagine the future. Um, so I, I have a question about your team. So, um, you know, there was something that came about, and I'm not going to have you comment on this exact issue, but Quinn Simmons gets in a little trouble. Chloe Diger gets in a little trouble. And I'm just curious as to your progression up with junior racing and then some of the, you know, the teams you've been with, do they do any kind of um, help as far as like, hey, perhaps here you, here's how you're going to stay out of trouble, uh, you know, with the public or with social media the way it is now? Um, is there any training that goes along with that? And, um, you know, from your junior days, you might've had a little bit more help with your parents and I don't know if it was such a big deal, but, um, what's kind of your thought on, on that or what are your insights? It's interesting, right? Cause I think, you know, there's a lot of the stuff that happened on, you know, we'll take the specialized team or the bear team or a Volo, right. You know, which we're all development teams in some form or another, right? right? You know, and there was all of those teams had people behind them that clearly, you know, it wasn't so much focused on social media, but it was focused on, hey, you know, you can't get through this world being blind to everything around you, right? You know, you really have to think about what you're doing and saying and how you're representing yourself. Um, You know, none of it, I think, was as explicit and I think at a certain level none of it right even still when I think about the difference between how connected everyone is in 2021 versus how connected everyone was in 2015 right right, you know social media has certainly evolved right and has become more and more ever-present in the way that athletes and brands and you know whoever else interact and share their opinions and their you know share their voices and i think you know certainly i would imagine right that there's a lot more coaching or help or 
I don't know what to moral and ethical training that goes into, you know, athlete and athlete development, regardless of the sport. But, you know, I would hope it carries over to cycling as well. Right. And maybe you can, well, you're down in Southern California. I was going to ask you if you've seen Chris Froome down there, but when you see him talk, you can tell it's very corporate, um, you know, that, that Ineos has probably really spent a lot of money in, in how these guys are going to maintain themselves in the, in the, the press, which is obviously a little different um, than, than what your situation is. But, you know, it all comes around and goes around. So, uh, and have you seen Froome down there since you, I guess he's training in SoCal? I mean, I, he, he's, da- he's in Malibu and I'm in Santa Barbara and under the current California shelter in place order. You're not going. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not going down to Malibu right now, so. Uh, no, I, I haven't seen him out and about, but I certainly see right there. There, there are plenty of uh, people that I know well and have you know spent a lot of time racing and training with uh, that live down in that area. That you know you, you get the you know flyby pictures of Froome. Yeah. And, oh wow, look at that! Right or you know whatever else. You had also mentioned um, earlier that you saw kind of a progression of where um, USA Cycling was going. Maybe maybe comment a little bit on what you think that is, and and if there's any coming back from it, and, and maybe I don't even understand what you're you're implying. No, I think I think right in wh- what you're implying by the there's a coming back from it uh, is certainly what I was uh, alluding to, okay. right? You know, on, when I look at where what I'll call local racing, right? You know. Cat three, cat you know P one two racing, junior local juniors racing was when I was a junior and you know really I think it the beginning of the end of the really high powered you know local racing efforts uh, coincided with my, the end of my time as a junior. Um, but you know I think about all you know the guys I grew up racing against as a junior. Right, you know, being you know guys who went on, have gone on to world tour racing or pro conti racing, or at least you know went on to be you know really good under twenty threes. Um, you know, some names we already mentioned as right. you know, Adrian Costa or Brandon McNulty, or right, you know, I was teammates with Nielsen Paulus for a year uh, on specialized. Um, you know, you look at all of those guys and all of the sort of simply the number of race days that were available to us Mm -hmm. then right you know it sort of seems like since 2015 or 2016 you know people have rightly or wrongly right i make no judgment on what people want to do with how they ride their bike right you know but there's been a general trend towards more adventure more exploration less pin a number on and bump shoulders for a 90 minute crit or a hundred mile road race or whatever, right. You know, it's just, maybe it's a trend away from competition in a sense towards a more inclusive sport, which I think is a great thing. Right. But I also think it come, it, you know, given the small population of people who ride a bike, you know, from, for anything more than recreation uh, in this country, you know, it sort of happens as a not binary, but as a trade-off between the two, right? You know, if you have the people that used to be the cat four or the cat three bike racers, 
you know, who would pin a number on every weekend to race their bike around a industrial park crit, you know, now instead finding their happiest version of riding a bike, you know, playing around in on the gravel with their friends or riding a mountain bike or doing a Fondo or whatever else you write, you know, who, who am I to tell them how they should enjoy riding a bike? But if they're not riding a bike, then who's paying the entry fees to help the race promoters put on all these races. And, you know, if you need to be, you need bike races to be a bike racer. Right. I, just um, to, I and, say and that's something. sort of what it comes down to. Just to, I mean, what you're talking about, um, you won, and I just remember this, you won uh, Nevada City Classic, which is a great, you know, heralded race, right? Greg LeMond, all these great racers. Have, I think, um, anyway, a lot of great racers have won that. I think Lance Armstrong won that, right? Uh, but when you were winning it, I mean, the, the field was less. And, and over the last few years, it's been difficult. You know, is that race even going to be happening? And sometimes it's like you, you talk about these gravel and these great adventure races, but some of these really difficult, you know, you'll have a, a, a business park crit that'll get more racers attending it than this amazing race up in Nevada City. So maybe that's, uh, I don't know if it's the competition. We don't want to do the hard racing or what have you, but, um, by the way, congratulations on that, on that race. That's, that's, that's Thank one you. to really put on. I mean, your, I, yeah. I, 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 yeah, you know, that's one where I certainly still hold, hold some amount of pride in that one, however many years down the line. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think more, more to your point, right. You know, it's one of these things where again, right. People are finding ways that make them happy to ride their bike. And that's a great thing, but I think it does come at a cost or a trade-off of, look, if, you know, you don't want to compete, right, and, you know, you, you don't want to be, you don't want to go show up to a race, get dropped within the first 10K, and then roll around in a, you know, sad state of, oh, man, I got dropped, right? You can go and do a gravel race, and you can, you know, it doesn't matter how long it takes right. you to finish. You can right? have a you know, feed, you, a feed can, station and get some snacks and, you know, keep going. So. Exactly, right? You can take a handful of pretzels or a handful of M&Ms and ride at whatever pace you want with your buddies, be that fast or slow, right? And the front end of those things now are real deal bike racing. Yeah, yeah. Right? You look at the world tour guys who are participating or the former world tour guys who are participating and you look at the power files for those versus the power files for a one day race, you know, of any caliber and they're just as hard, if not harder. Right. So, but I think the, the appeal of it is that you can, right, unlike a bike race, where your only option is to really put your head down and suffer and race it, right? You in a gravel race or a fondo, right? You can put your head down and race against the guy next to you for five minutes, or you know, up this one climb or across this one segment, and then you can spend two hours just sitting there chatting next to him, rolling along like you would on any training ride, without the pressure of oh man, there's 20 guys up the road and I have to, if I'm not in those 20 guys, I didn't get anything out of it. Right, right. And you're going to get uh, lapped or, or picked up by the sag wagon or something. I, have you done any of those and, and do you have any interest or is just the road just too inviting for you? I've never strayed very far from the road. Um, right, I've done a few, right, in 2018, I did a few of the Grasshopper mm -hmm. uh, series of events. Um, and you know, I think that's probably the closest that I've come to, um, right. It's certainly something that holds some appeal to me once I'm done racing my bike at whatever level that may be, right. Or at least at the level that I'm currently racing. 
Um, and, you know, certainly if it could get peppered in in a constructive rather than destructive way, I'd be very happy to do it. Um, but, yeah, as I said, I've never strayed particularly far from the road. Um, if right, I always joke that if I can't do it on 28C road tires, maybe I shouldn't be doing it. Um, are you fin- how, What's your plan for finishing school? What's the, the timeline of that? And then um, kind of your projection for continuing racing? So I've got one semester left, okay. uh, starts in 10 days. Um, so, you know, and luckily one of the things, uh, that's been a benefit throughout this whole COVID pandemic is that, you know, I got to, you know, I lived at home all, you know, and did the fall semester all fall. And instead of, you know, partaking in some of the social activities and whatnot that, really cut into a relaxed off season and, you know, the ability to really focus a base uh, block and, you know, a build block into the 2021 season, right? I had none of those distractions, right? And now I'm, you know, I feel like I'm really firing on all cylinders coming into 2021. And again, in the spring school will be online for me and I'll take, you know, I'll use that and basically, you know, finish out my college career uh in at some point in early may and then that gives me you know certainly with the uncertainty of what racing will happen before may or june uh of 2021 you know who knows how much time i'm gonna have to sort of split my focus even uh between at least racing and school right you know training in school is easy enough to balance if you're always in one place with consistent wi-fi connection and you can sort of get into a routine um but you know what it really affords me is the ability to graduate in may and then have sort of freedom to when racing will almost certainly extend into october at least of 2021 right you know i'm not constrained by the fact that i have to go back to school right. in the fall and you know it allows really this freedom to um go on and pursue bike racing whatever that might look like coming out of 2020 the 2021 season or whatever's next coming out of the 2021 season so. Where, where's um wildlife generation where are they based from uh some san diego county okay i think vista technically is where the team's based out of. And how's your, how's the team look this year for, for, um, everything? I mean, assuming let's just always assume we're going to be able to race. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll make the assumption that racing is going to happen as it gets, as it gets scheduled, at least. Um, it's looking really good. Uh, you know, really strong 10 rider roster, uh, four, four guys returning from the 2020 team. Um, all of whom I've spent some time racing against, one of whom I've been teammates with, you know, all really strong guys. And then a lot of, you know, the six of us that are coming on, you know, we're really, Danny is bringing on a lot of horsepower, right? You know, guys who have ridden for the team previously uh, and have had, you know, a lot of success on the pro circuit, you know, Sergey Svetkov, uh, right. Johnny Clark, Gulises Castillo, um, are all guys who have ridden, who rode for the team back when it was Jelly Belly. Um, and then, you know, myself, uh, Noah Granigan and Spencer Petrov, uh, both of whom rode for the Hincapi team in 2020 are coming on board. So, you know, from a roster standpoint, you know, I think we have 
certainly one of the strongest teams in the U.S. And, you know, really it's been said multiple times in our team meetings that our goal is to be one of, if not the best Conti teams in the world this year. So, and I, you know, I really think, I believe that and everyone on the team believes that we can do that. So before we close out here, what, what is your, what are your personal goals for racing this year? Um, domestically, if we have any and, and, and internationally, whatever, I, have you pinpointed anything specific for you or maybe just a plan of what you have, what you want to accomplish for this year? I mean, I think I'll give a sort of catch all statement of, right. You know, I want to deliver on that confidence and that I got in 2019 racing in Europe and the now 14 or 13 or however many years it is of building this fitness, right. And, you know, cycling is a sport that takes a long time to build up that fitness and that base to then, you know, put the finishing touches on, right. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a lifetime sport, right. And, you know, that I'm, you know, I'll extend that to beyond whatever I do in racing, right. You know, it's something that I am almost certain I will be riding a bike in some capacity, you know, for decades to come. Right. And having built on the, you know, last 13 or 14 years, right. You know, I really want to deliver on everything I've built and, you know, taken all of this time and sacrifice and hard work to, you know, build up here. Yeah. And, and everyone should take note because I'm someone who, like you, was riding forever, took a few years off, gained a little weight, played a lot of golf. It's it's more fun and it's easier to just stay fit that whole time. So um, where can people find you and follow you for the year, um, either Twitter or Facebook or what have you? How can they find out and, and keep keep up with your, so your going I, on? I think the best places to look are Instagram at j.salt. Uh if I if I could remember my Twitter handle, I'd give you my Twitter handle. I, I will uh, link it to the to the the podcast so everyone could just click on um, it as well. Right, I write. I'm in 2020. I wrote, and in 2021, I will be writing a blog for Pez Cycling News. Good, uh, which should come every four to six weeks, depending on and the I, time frame on what 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 racing there actually is and what stories there are to tell. Um, and then you know, following the team at. Uh, wildlife generation pro cycling on instagram and twitter and facebook uh, would be a great place to look all right everybody you can find it we'll, we'll link up to those spots so you can end up finding jason online and um, we'll hopefully maybe try to keep up with you during the year so i really appreciate you coming on yeah, give us a little backstory um and good luck and and you know you you check a look at some of his racing in norcal people because he's got some uh, some stellar results here Nevada City, must we say anything more? Cats Hill, you've done well in there. And, and uh, by the way, yeah. that's why I met well, you, your dad once, and, and you here at Cyclebration. Yeah. So, a lot, a lot of, right, you know, going back to what we were saying about the way USAC racing is working, you know, those are a lot of races that maybe may not happen anymore. Right, right. So, hopefully, we'll get some racing for this year. Thank you, everybody. 218 right. in the books. Jason, appreciate it. Uh, we'll link up to all your stuff. And once again, keep in touch with this, and uh, best of luck for the year. Thank you. Yep.